stuff and we're Allison and we're Shan and this is Vintage Lesbians. Hello and welcome to Vintage Lesbians Personal Journey of Friendship and Queer History where we try to set the record a little less straight. I'm Shan, one of your hosts. And I'm Allison, your other host. Welcome to Vintage Lesbians. Shan, how are you doing today? Uh, weird. Weird? I feel weird. Why do you feel weird? It's just a weird long weekend and I've already done a lot today and we're recording the intro after we've recorded the episode, so it's weird. (laughs) I suspected that at least one of those reasons was probably the reason why. Are you doing anything fun today? Uh, yeah. About to go to a queer dance party, uh, a pride dance party uh, thrown by Camp Ten Trees, which is a local uh, queer youth organization. So excited. My hair is going to look... Incroyable. Sorry? It's incredible in French. Yeah, I just want you to say it again in French. Oh, incroyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nailed it. Um, how am I, you ask? I do ask that. I'm glad you asked because I had a story that I wanted to share. <laughs> Allison, <laughs> how's it going? It's going pretty well. Ask me if I've um, impacted the lives of any teens lately. Um, have you uh, had any, I don't know, impact on a teen life lately? I sure have. For I recently got lunch with um, the family of someone I used to babysit, including the kids I used to babysit, and they're 13 now. That's illegal. They're not taller than me yet. That's good. They're taller than their mom. The first kid I babysat when he was eight years old, I went to his high school graduation, and he is about three feet taller than me now. That's absurd. It is absurd. He's more like 6'10", but he's a tall Mm. boy. So I (laughs) I asked these kids. I asked these kids the same thing I ask any teen that I meet. And that is, hey, what are the cool memes right now? Did they tell you about cool memes for they hot said, teens? They said that um, they didn't even know what was cool. Like, like one of them was like, I don't know. I see memes. I don't know, like, what's cool or not. And her brother was like, oh, you know, it's just the ones that everyone posts. Those are the ones that are cool. And I was like, actually, everyone's making up being cool. And then I went into, like, cool adult interacting with children mode. And I said, everyone's making up being cool. So if you do anything with confidence, what I said to this child, um, with pure genuineness and non-ironicity. Anyway. So I said to this child, child. (laughs) Everyone's making up being cool. No one understands it. As long as you do what you do with confidence, it doesn't matter. What other things are cool? Because people will know that you're cool. And you know what? I said to this child, I said, you know what? (laughs) Not caring. It's a little punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And then after I said that, I thought to myself, yeah, this is going to stick with her. (laughs) In some way. In some way for sure. (laughs) I was just so genuine. Oh, man. I'm so delighted by you. Anyway, you want to talk about Lorraine Hansberry again? <laughs> uh, yeah, teach me about Lorraine Hansberry's love life and the ladies yeah. that she uh, did stuff with. So yeah, this is going to parallel what we talked about last time. but Parallel or continue it? It's going to be parallel, because last time we went from her birth to her death. Oh yeah, you're right. This time we're going from like 25 to death. Yeah. So about, about 10 years. all the chicks. Most of this is taken from an article that was initially published in Out Magazine in 1999. I love Out Magazine. And it's currently living online in Medium. And we'll post that link. I love Out Magazine, too. 
Lorraine's archive wasn't unsealed until, until 2014. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until then that we were able to look into her personal writings and confirm what the queer community already knew. That, that she was, she was gay as hell. Mm-hmm. A piece came out 15 years earlier in 1999 in Out Magazine, as mentioned, that went into her lesbian life in full detail. Also, 1999, it's 20 years ago. It sure was. I was eight years old. <laughs> I was nine. Amazing. We've discussed how I'm a year older than you before, right? <laughs> yes, you're a grandmother. <laughs> this piece was written by a journalist named Elise Harris. She meticulously sought out people that were actually part of the lesbian scene at that time. She interviewed one of Hansberry's girlfriends, Renee Kaplan, as well as many of their friends. What she published was a beautiful and loving and really, really long essay <laughs> on Lorraine Hansberry's love life, which also gave us a meaningful glimpse into the lesbian subculture in New York in the 1950s. Ah. Also in my research, I found a lesbian walking tour of New York City, and I want to go on it with you someday. Y- yes. Okay. Cool. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you want us to be able to afford to go on a walking tour of New York City to see all the lesbian sites, mm-hmm. support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagelespod. It's $7 a month. This you would be surprising. It. It's mostly in Greenwich Village. <gasps> Just walk from one brownstone to another. That's the gay one. Yep. So I've divided this into the major love interests of her life. And we're going to start with Bobby. Bobby. You may remember Bobby as Robert Nemiroff. Oh. Her husband. Yes. In 1951, Lorraine was reporting for the black newspaper Freedom. She went to cover a protest against a whites-only basketball team at New York University. In that picket line, she met Robert Bobby Nemiroff, who you may remember from last week. I do. Bobby is described as a quiet, slight, and shy man. Bobby was actually married at that time. Lorraine became friends with both Bobby and his wife. And then when Bobby and his wife split up, he began dating Lorraine about a year later. Scandalous. Indeed. They shared the same passion for politics and literature. They got married in 1953, and they spent the two days right before their wedding at a vigil for the Rosenbergs. Hmm. After they married, they moved into a little apartment on Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village and made their home there. I know Bleecker Street. Yeah, you may remember that from our James Baldwin episode. I do. They lived a happy life together, but Lorraine always felt like something was off inside of her. It was the dick. You set me up for that. I had an emotional piece written. (laughs) So sorry. No, no, tell us your sweet emotions. She did feel a genuine emotional attachment to Bobby. Yeah. But she kept feeling more and more of what Harris called a powerful, persistent attraction to women. (laughs) Um, And at this point, she began seeking out the lesbian community. Uh, She read Simone de Bouvier. And as we mentioned last week, she wrote letters to the latter and daughters of Bilitis, mm-hmm. etc. Um, one of the letters she wrote was in response to an editorial where a writer suggested that all married lesbians should leave their husbands to be true to themselves. Mm. She wrote, How could we ever begin to guess the numbers of women who are not prepared to risk a life alien to what they have been taught all their lives to believe was their natural destiny and their only expectation for economic security? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know why divorce is so much more common now is because women have their own bank accounts and their own property. So they don't have to depend on a man who owns all of their items for things. That's actually why um, jewelry is a common gift to women because it's the one piece of property they could own. Mm -hmm. So if they did want to divorce or leave their abusive husbands or they just weren't in love anymore, they would take that jewelry with them, sell it for cash to live. But yeah, 
economic freedom. Yes. It's good for divorce rates. <laughs> divorce rates are also higher because it's actually legal now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's legal and the church won't kick you out. <laughs> at this time, we think of Lorraine as like a famous powerhouse. Yeah. But at this time, she was working a lot of odd jobs and Bobby was a songwriter and he paid most of their bills. He was the right. economic security of the relationship. What songs did he write? So if you go to his Wikipedia page, it is mostly... Just about how he's Lorraine Hansberry's husband, which I like. That's adorable. But at the time, he was definitely the more famous mm -hmm. of them for a while. He wrote a song called Cindy O' oh Cindy, which I've never heard of. And then he wrote the theme for the movie, The World, the Flesh, and the Devil. Okay. Which is a science fiction doomsday film. Oh, we should watch that. That looks good. I don't know. Let's talk more about Lorraine. Okay. It stars Harry Belafonte. Anyway. Ooh. Yeah, I want to watch that. <laughs> Lorraine read a lot of theoretical analysis of sexuality and became familiar with the overall culture of the gay scene at that time, but she found that acting on her actual physical attraction to women way more intimidating. Is that not the most relatable thing you've ever heard? Yeah, I recently saw, uh, what do you call it? One of them memes? Oh, One of them I, tweets. Tweet memes. Mimi. Me those memes? No, um, let's not say that. So memes. in this meme, um, in this, oh, in this twit... It <laughs> No, it's a tweet that says, I, I, I say that I'm bisexual, but what I really mean is that I am re begrudgingly attracted to men and terrified of women. <laughs> but yeah, same. Yeah. Same. 100%. Me, me and you, same. Yeah. That women me. are terrifying. That me, I'm not. It's just because you're all so beautiful I'm... and perfect and like talented and smart and you're funny. <sighs> Some of you are very tall. <sighs> Bobby knew Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt your reverie for a moment. I was thinking about tall chicks. <laughs> Bobby knew that Lorraine was gay. And after her death, he said that her lesbianism was not a peripheral or causal part of her life, but contributed significantly on many levels to the sensitivity and complexity of her view on human beings and of the world. You know, you know when, when people say not all men, mm -hmm. this is the one man they're talking about. We'll see um he's mostly he's mostly pretty good he seems pretty chill there's a thing at the end where you're gonna get mad at him oh no i don't want to get mad at him eventually when she was 28 lorraine made her way into a small group of lesbians she went to their her first party with them just a couple weeks before her broadway premiere and these lesbians these women were completely different from her usual socialist activist groups where she usually spent her time mm-hmm uh, one of the people she met there was Mary Jane Meeker, who's credited with starting the lesbian pulp fiction genre. Oh. Thanks, Mary Jane. Harris said, This animated, lighthearted lesbian scene was about the furthest Hansberry could get from the socialist and intellectual worlds in which she and her husband moved. Nonetheless, Hansberry and these chic professional women came to constitute a private circle centered around house parties in the village in the Upper East Side. Mm, that sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, she said it was purely social. They talked about who was going out with whom. And who felt sad about who was going out with whom, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and where they should eat and drink, and what they should do, and just had as much adventure as a group of young independent women could have in 1959. Yeah, I feel like well, this was the lesbian scene, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like the lesbian scene in Greenwich Village in New York in 1959 is probably about as incestuous and tiny as the Seattle lesbian scene, where everyone has, in fact, dated everyone else. I saw that one of my friends who... We went on a couple dates is dating someone that I had a whole bunch of Tinder conversations with. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just very funny. Yeah. We all like each other. We sure do. Um, other people in this group include Louise Fitzhugh, who wrote Harriet the Spy. 
Also, Patricia Highsmith, who wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley and The Price of Salt, which is what Carol is based off of. Sure is. And then Renee Kaplan, who I mentioned earlier, remember? It's one of the girlfriends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is also a woman named Frederica Lesser, who I was searching to find out more about. She is described as one of those independently wealthy, genteel lesbians. <laughs> and I think she's just sort of a socialite. She didn't really yeah. contribute to books or art or that kind of thing. As far as I know, she, maybe she did. She just didn't get famous for it. She was friends with Eleanor Roosevelt. Is that something? Oh. And she married her wife, Judy, in 2011. And this is oh what they gosh. look like. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they're so sweet. Oh, they look so happy. I couldn't find out anything about her except her phone number. <laughs> so. Oh, well, let's not call We're her. not going to post that one. No. <laughs> But the picture of her. Maybe I'll send her a text. She says, hey, thanks. She's in her 80s. She probably doesn't text. Yeah, well, you have an opinion on 80-year-olds, huh? I, I see. Mean, I see how it is. I'm just based. I am ageist. <laughs> I think baby boomers are destroying. I have destroyed. Yes. Yeah. Let's continue. Lorraine? Frederica gave an annual winter max ball for several hundred women in her Greenwich Village brownstone even though all-girl parties at the time were very risky. Damn, Frederica. Whenever they would give a party, they would tell the landlord it was their sorority. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, what, are all, what are all these? Imagine being the landlord and being, like, suspicious of a bunch of women getting together. <laughs> what are all these ladies doing together? Something gay happening what, in here? What could all these ladies have to do? Like, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> Honestly, if it was a male landlord, it would probably be like... Skirts? <laughs> Yeah, nothing funny is going on there. What are they going to do? Not be attracted to a man? <laughs> God. Just ridiculous. Lorraine was the only black woman in this group, so there was purportedly a lot of nervous white liberal responses. Like, uh, I know a black person, self-congratulation, mm-hmm. and curiosity. Oh, I've always mm-hmm. been interested in black culture. I'm just so curious. What's it like? And hand-wringing, like, I'm so sorry for everything we've everything done. Everything we've done to you is horrible. Please, assuage my guilt. Everything we have done is horrible, but no black person yeah. owes you mm. anything. Um, this was when James Baldwin lived a few blocks away from her, and they became friends. And they were going through very similar things as they navigated their queer white worlds together. March 11th, 1959. Lorraine was getting ready to make her Broadway debut. Yes, she was. Raisin and the Sun had already been touring for two years to get ready for this moment. The first performance was a hit, and people began crying, Author! 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 Amazing. Author! Author! The lead in the play was a popular actor named Sidney Poitier. Hey, I know who that is. As people were chanting for the author, Sidney Poitier leapt into the audience. The article says, Hansberry knew what was coming. She wanted it, but she didn't want it. And blood rushed to the back of her neck. (gasps) Poitier lifted Hansberry up and carried her onto the stage. She was laughing and crying at the same time. Cut to the after party at Sardi's. Lorraine was riding that high. She had a few glasses of champagne. Mm -hmm. She was feeling playful and confident and was reportedly incredibly charming. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She's a lesbian. Yeah. All lesbians are charming. Yeah. In my experience, yeah. Harris said that she was feeling her power. She was warmly embracing dozens of friends from the various parts of her life. Family members, civil rights activists, socialist organizers, black artists, gay girls, thespians. All together to celebrate her and her she triumphs. Thespians? Is that not how you say it? It's thespians. Okay, that's exactly what I said. No, you said thespians like lesbians. Thespians and lesbians rhyme. <laughs> They're from Thesbos. <laughs> Yes, yes, the, the drama island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Total drama island. Thesbos. 
Not unlike some very small incestuous dating scenes. <laughs> Fuck. In this confidence, Lorraine turned her focus on Renee Kaplan, a woman mm. with whom she had been harboring a crush for a little while. <gasps> they had met at some of those parties. She thought she was cute. Kaplan was interviewed and she said, she fl- I'm going to do a voice for Kaplan. Okay. <clears throat> she flirted with me outrageously at that party. I don't know what this voice is. <laughs> she flirted with me outrageously at that party. I was very surprised. She said that Hansberry probably flirted with a dozen people that night, but that she received special attention. Mm. I think our relationship started after, five minutes after opening night. (laughs) Renee said that Lorraine gave off the impression that this was all a new experience for her. She said that she was youthful, fun-loving, and easygoing. The intellectual connection was very important to me. Whenever I was with Lorraine, she kept my mind really alert, alive and active. That's lovely. They read poems to each other, they spent weekends in the Catskills, and they had friends who came with them. Frederica Lesser described one of those getaways, saying, It was a wonderful weekend, and it had snowed. I got to know Lorraine better because she was considerably more relaxed than when she was at social gatherings. We made a very, very seductive snowwoman, and then we made a bunch of snow angels. That's adorable. Uh, They were together for two years, and as with many lesbian relationships, they ended up being best friends for the rest of their lives not best friends but like you know really good friends um Uh, unrelatable (laughs) (laughs) well it's almost as if queer people have um the emotional intelligence to talk about things and communicate yeah yeah communication is key Mm -hmm. joe and i have not had a single fight in the almost six months we've been together we've had disagreements Mm -hmm. and like issues have come up but it's nice because we just like talk Talk about about it with Mm. love and respect which is not a way that I'm used to resolving conflict. Yeah. So you don't just like bury it down and, and just try not to have at each your other? own. No. no. So what I do is I try to tell myself, "You're overreacting. Just shut oh, up." Oh yeah, about you're it. being too sensitive. Your mm-hmm. emotions don't matter. Yeah, no. I whenever I try to do that, Joe's like, "Hey, no, stop it." And whenever Joe does that, I'm like, "Hey, cut that shit out. Your emotions matter." We say to each other, <laughs> in perfect unison. You lock eyes and you say. Your, Your emotions, emotions matter. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's romantic. <laughs> After Hansberry and Kaplan broke up, Lorraine started dating Eve Ward, a writer from Tennessee. Eve Ward fascinates me because she kept so much of her life secret. For one thing, Eve Ward, it's not her real name. Whoa. Guess what her real name is? I have no idea. Weave Ord. That's probably it. It's probably it. We know that... We don't know her real name. No. We just know that Eve Ward is not her real name. That's just what she went by. Oh, God, that's nuts. Uh, we know that she was, well, she said she was the daughter of white academics at a historically black college. She is fine. May or may not be true. I, I Googled her, and I just kept finding out about this founder of a company who helps rich people move or manage their moves. Okay. And incidentally, they are currently hiring highly detailed, discreet people with special skills. So, you know, hit them up. Jeez. Um, <laughs> special skills. I know. <laughs> That's, that's why I that's included it. That's the creepiest it. thing I've ever heard. You need to dis- be discreet. You need, need to have, have special skills. set of special skills. To be able to say, all right, the movers are coming at five, rich people. Well, no, the, no. Mo- the movers and the rich people can't ever see one another. True. You are going to a spa day. Everything also, will be in place by the time you get home. Basically. Uh, God, what's it like to be rich? I don't know. Eve was a talented but frustrated writer from Tennessee. She was pretty and vivacious. She had a wicked sense of humor. When she started dating Lorraine, she had just broken up with another partner because that other girl refused to have sex when they were in Rome because the Pope was there. (laughs) 
Um, Holy shit, that's hilarious. She was described as being genuine and funny and always called people out when they were being pompous. And she Aww. herself tried not to be pompous. I love that. But she was also theatrically private. No one ever went to her apartment. I don't know if Lorraine did. But <laughs> she claimed that her money came from her having invented the polypacker, a machine that sealed meat. Mary Jane Meeker said, she's a southerner, of course. Anyone this crazy had to be a southerner. <laughs> her mother would send her letters with one stick of gum in them. The gum was a message, I bet. Probably. It probably wasn't her mother. It was probably, like, her handler. Mm-hmm. And the gum, like, the wrapper had a whole bunch of notes and secrets inside mm-hmm. of it. And nobody ever went to her apartment because she didn't have one. <gasps> she had a lair. Whoa. Or her apartment was literally underground. You mean a basement apartment? That's not that No, exciting. like a like a, like a a bunker. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a little yeah, more. Yeah, like a safe house bunker type situation. <laughs> She can't have anyone over because then she'd have to explain all the cans of dried food. (laughs) (laughs) Lorraine wrote a short story called In Anticipation of Eve for one magazine under the pen name Emily Jones. I wasn't able to find the full story, but there was Mm -hmm. a quote in an article called Nine Radical and Radiant Facts You Should Know About Lorraine Hansberry, which we'll post a link to. In this moment, the protagonist, Rita, is about to see her lover, Eve. And she said... I could think only of flowers growing lovely and wild somewhere by the highways, of every lovely melody I had ever heard. I could think only of beauty, isolated and misunderstood, but beauty still. Someday, perhaps, I might hold out my secret in my hand and sing about it to the scornful, but if not, I would more than survive. Hmm. Lorraine's biographer said that these sentences captured the tension between family and gender expressions and the way homophobia could crush intimacies in the most heartbreaking of ways even as romantic love made space for them. And I cried when I read that. Yeah. Mary Jane Meeker said Lorraine was delightfully in love with Eve. She was <laughs> like someone with a beautiful, bright toy. Harris said that they were an unlikely pair, a coupling typical of young lesbian swapping girlfriends within a minuscule, incestuous social pool. They had a lot of fun together, but Eve just didn't share Lorraine's commitment to civil rights or her passion for politics or philosophy. So eventually it kind of fizzled out. Yeah, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. Lorraine had some, hit some major writer's block after The Raisin in the Sun came out. Mm-hmm. She had started being like held up as like, look at this black person who is achieving so much. You're- and she's writing the ubiquitous experience of black people. Isn't she amazing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a lot of fucking pressure. Yeah. So in 1960, Bobby suggested that they purchase another home in Greenwich Village as an investment for Hansbury to live in, as maybe to get a little more, like, get out of Hands her Hands-on experience. Sorry. <laughs> they lived in Greenwich Village already. I know. She was already getting I know. Oh, plenty of hands-on uh, yeah, experience. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just... Uh, I'll remind uh, you of some quotes uh, we read about last week. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, this home that they bought already had a tenant living on the bottom floor, and they continued to rent to her, so Hansberry took the top floor. The tenant there was named Dorothy Secules. Hmm. She was 15 years older than Lorraine, and she hmm. had been living in that home since the 1930s. Lorraine and Dorothy hit it off, and they eventually fell deeply in love Aww. She may have guessed when I purposely said her name. I did. Also, there's a there's a label that says Dorothy on your notes. It's in big letters. I can read big letters. <laughs> Dorothy and Lorraine would be together until Lorraine died in 1964. Mm. Dorothy is described as an attractive, blue-eyed blonde. <laughs> she was shy and sweet. She had started working as a store clerk in a candy store when she was younger. And by the time she met Lorraine, she was an executive in that company Ooh, as well. Oh, nice. 
one of Dorothy's high school friends said that Dorothy was feisty and enthusiastic about things she liked, which was usually politics. <laughs> Secules was so opinionated that in high school, sometimes her friends would get her started on a political argument as a prank. Oh my and then would see if she could get her so mad that she'd go, oh, and then stomp out and then come back in and be okay. <laughs> oh my God. I am in love with Dorothy. <laughs> Dorothy and Lorraine became good friends with another couple, a director named Miranda Dancuna, and her girlfriend, who wasn't famous. I don't know her name. Okay, cool. Uh, Miranda said, we went to plays and things. The four of us would have grand times. I remember Lorraine lined us up, all three of us, in front, with her in front, to teach us the latest dance. And we all collapsed laughing. It turned into total silliness. This was the part of Lorraine that was so irresistible, when her intellect could take a rest for a while and she could just enjoy the fun of the evening. Mm. Lorraine still had some pretty severe writer's block, so uh, Lorraine and Bobby decided that a second home might help her. Um, so, or I guess a third home by this point. Yeah, second, second home. Um, <laughs> so this time she spent the summer of 1962 upstate, in upstate New York, okay. to focus on writing. And it worked really well for the writing, but she was separate from Dorothy during this mm-hmm. time. And it really cleared some things up for her. Miranda said that Dorothy was deeply unhappy about all of this, about the Croton, the place where Lorraine was staying, mm-hmm. and about Bobby and the constant tug, and about Lorraine being so divided in her attachment, it made for no full relationship either way. Yeah. She was still married to Bobby yeah. at this point. Last time we talked about Hansbury, you asked why she decided to get a divorce when they had already been married for so long. And this was the point where she actually began to have more serious doubts about her marriage. Mm-hmm. She had always valued personal honesty, and she realized that she had been using this marriage in a way that didn't allow her to be honest with herself. Uh, They had been romantically separated since 1957, Mm. but they had still stayed married over this past five years. Uh, He was, as I mentioned earlier, the primary breadwinner for the marriage. Um, He was also a great partner in helping her create her writings, and they actually still stayed sort of writing partners after they divorced. Um, He provided a lot of support, advice, and constructive criticism, um, and they were a great team together. Yeah. Renee Kaplan said that Lorraine wanted his support, But it didn't free her to be totally herself, and it didn't free him to have his own life either. Then in 1963, Hansbury had a seizure, and she developed chronic stomach pain. She had an operation later that year. The doctors told Nimeroff that she had cancer, and he didn't tell her that. What the absolute fuck? Remember when earlier I said he would do something that would make you hate him? This is what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing he had reasons like... He didn't want her to be scared. Eventually, she did find out that. Well, I mean, yeah, you would. Hey, can we Frankie promise each other that if one of us finds out the other has cancer, we'll tell him? I don't know how that would happen, but sure, fuck. Yeah. She sent her letter, a letter to her friend Miranda at the time, which included the line "I'm suffering some," but she crossed out "some" and replaced it with "a lot." Hmm. It was around this time that Lorraine decided to divorce Bobby. Miranda said, "To me, it was always very telling." That whether you're fully aware that you're going to die, or whether you merely think that you're very, very ill, unconsciously there comes a point when you must put yourself, your things in order, before you die. It became a necessity for her to make a stand and make a decision about herself. And I think it may have been very painful for Bobby, but for Lorraine, it was a very important thing. I really do. Lorraine and Bobby divorced in March of 1964 on the grounds of incompatibility. Uh, They actually divorced in Mexico, because until 1966, the only grounds for divorce in New York in New York State, was adultery. Oh, fascinating. After 1996, they added a few more um, reasons to get divorced, including separation. So that's why people started getting separated for at least a year before um, divorcing. There were no no-fault divorces in New York State until the year 2010. 
Hmm. That, that seems later than you would think, right? It sure does. Anyway. Even after their divorce, Lorraine and Bobby remained close. They worked together closely, and he was made the executor of her estate after mm-hmm. she died. And he still called himself her husband until the day he died. Hmm. After their divorce, Lorraine and Dorothy were able to be together fully. I mean, they still had to keep it a secret. Because of laws. Yeah. But they were completely devoted to one another, and they lived out in their own smaller community. At this time, Lorraine also was in the hospital a lot because of her cancer. Renee Kaplan, her girlfriend, uh, ex-girlfriend, first girlfriend, lived across the street from NYU Hospital, which is where Lorraine got most of her treatment. Lorraine was there frequently, and her room faced Renee's building, so the two used to wave to each other. Aww. Renee visited frequently, and Dorothy and Bobby kept constant watch. Mm-hmm. Lorraine eventually died on January 12th, 1965. Renee and Dorothy were named honorary pallbearers at the funeral. The program spelled Dorothy's last name wrong. Of course. The Times spelled the last name right, but he they called her a friend. Which makes sense, because I mean, they were closeted. Yeah. yeah. She wouldn't call her anything else. Still, it would be so hard to read that, you know? Yeah, that would be rough. Mm-hmm. I would not like it. I think Dorothy lived until 1993, but I couldn't find out anything about her life afterwards. Mm-hmm. But to me, I'm guessing that means she just wasn't interested in fame. Yeah. Because with how important Lorraine Hansberry is, if she had tried for anything, that would have made her a little more famous. I'm mm-hmm. sure someone would have found it. Um, and that just shows me that Dorothy was only in it for love. Hmm. And that is everything I know about the loves of Lorraine Hansberry. What a lovely lady she was. She was. I love how she just had, like, it seems like she had a big joy inside of her. Yeah, she had a lot of, of love to give, and I'm glad that she got to receive some of it as well. So yeah. often when we talk about people, they they don't get to enjoy their loves fully. It's very painful. Hmm. <sighs> Any final thoughts before we go to plugs? As always, thank you to Leslie for our beautiful logo design. Um, we have a plug from Leslie this week, I believe. Uh, the Leslie plug this week is... Sometimes you get really tired because you've been told every moment has to count. It's okay. Take a break. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie. Can I just say, Shan, your Leslie impersonation has gotten on point. Thank you. I've been practicing every day. <laughs> Um, no, Leslie's here. It's Pride Weekend. We're all going to a party later. <laughs> uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagelespod for even more vintage lesbians content. Uh, lately, we've been posting some of our blooper reels. Yeah, which it's is fun. You get to hear some of the stuff that we cut out of these episodes. So, like, think about what we leave in. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> I would be interested to find out if people who aren't us find it funny. I think it's funny. I think it's funny, but I'm biased because I'm the one making those jokes. Yeah. And I make myself laugh most of the time. Mm, Our jokes are great. Yes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at VintageLesPod, or send us an email at VintageLesPod at gmail.com. That's Vintage L-E-S-P-O-D. You can also follow our personal pages. I'm at Justashan underscore on the twits and the instas. And I'm at Allison Humphreys. You figure out the spelling. You can also follow me on Spotify. I've decided. I was going to start plugging that because I make some pretty rad playlists. Uh, true. True facts. Allison is great at playlists. I bump her playlists all the time. Well, that's it. Any final remarks? Leslie, you got anything else you want to say? I love you all. Leslie oh, loves you. Tight. That's nice. I also love you. I love you. I forgot that's how we ended. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
And that was Vintage Lesbians. Love is love, bitches.